0: Today's reading is John 1 verses 43 to 51, it can be found on page 978 of the Bible's next year's seats as well as on the screen. This is God's word. The next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked.
1: So the sermon comes with two warnings at the beginning, which uh, every good sermon does. Uh, So the first is I'm going to be reading a lot more of this one than normal. Um, I want to be a little bit more careful with what I say. Uh, It also helps me get through it a little bit faster, so it's a win-win. And secondly, um, we're going to put up a meme in a second on the screen. And you might at first laugh at the meme, and I want to tell you don't do that because you're gonna feel bad about it in a little while. So, you've been warned. Um, Hilda, if you can put up the slide. So you might have seen this meme go around a couple years ago. Um, It's from The Lion King, obviously. Uh, It has Mufasa and Simba sitting, looking out. Mufasa says, look Simba, everything the light touches is Sacramento. And Simba says, but what about that shadowy place? Mufasa says, that's Oak Park. You must never go there, Simba. I warned you not to laugh. Uh, But this meme went around a lot uh, a while ago. And it was filled in by different people in different places uh, to make fun of whatever place they wanted to make fun of. Um, So there was Oak Park. uh, There was Stockton. uh, There was one where the light was San Francisco and the shadowy place was Oakland. Uh, There was one where Bakersfield. You know, it was this joke about these places that uh, you shouldn't go there, these places that are, you know, not safe to go. Um, It's really racially loaded, too, if you know anything about the two places they're comparing in each one. Um, You know, so I saw this going around, but this one um, stood out to me because Oak Park is a neighborhood I particularly love. It's four minutes from here. It's where several of us, including myself, live. Um, and the joke, of course, is that, and this is a funny joke, is that there are places that people view as broken beyond repair, as hopeless, as insignificant, as godforsaken, and please pardon me for quoting the headlines, as shitholes. We all, over the course of our lives, end up absorbing these assumptions and these biases that tell us to write off certain places and certain people as worthless, as insignificant, as a sort of places from which nothing good can come. Some of us might even have internalized those stories about ourselves and the places that we've come from, and we're living trying to find that we have some value even though we've come from a certain place. We feel like where you might be beyond the reach of God's loving concern. The thing is different people have different biases, so people end up being written off Uh, and places end up being written off for different reasons. Um, It might be because they come from a certain neighborhood or a certain city, or it might be because they're from a rural area. Uh, It might be because they're from the suburbs or the inner city. Um, People are written off for being from certain parts of the world. Uh, People are written off for their skin color, for their gender, because they've spent time in prison, because they have a disability. People are written off because uh, the work they do is done with their hands instead of in an office. Um, people who have trouble finding work or trouble finding a home. You know, we, we all end up with these biases accumulated over life where there's some people we just kind of tend to think as insignificant. And this is what we see in the gospel reading today, too. Uh, we have this question from Nathaniel. Uh, he, he hears from his friend Philip. I've met the Messiah. I've met the one that the prophets of our scripture told us was coming, and he's Jesus of Nazareth. And Nathaniel's, uh, yeah, he's from Nazareth. Like, can anything good come from Nazareth? You know, he, has, he has this whole, just like our biases that we get, uh, our own assumptions, he has an assumption that Nazareth is not the kind of place the Messiah comes from. Um, and it's helpful to, to know a little bit of context about where he's coming from on that. So you have to understand, Nazareth is in the, the territory, the region of Palestine. Um, it had formerly been the kingdom of Israel and Judah, but that had been conquered a long time ago. So over centuries, it's gone through been conquered again and again by different empires. So it was, first was the Assyrian Empire, then the Babylonian Empire, then the Greek Empire, now the Roman Empire. So this little place just keeps trading hands. You know, uh, they're never in control of themselves. Uh, It's kind of off to the margins of the empire, and then you get into that, and there's some bigger cities like Jerusalem that have some significance politically. But then you get down into these little tiny villages like Nazareth, around 400 people. Uh, One of the main industries is fishing, you know, so it's people going out and coming back, and people smell of fish uh, because it's a fish town. Um, And this is where. Philip tells Nathaniel the Messiah has come from. Uh, And if we were to guess and to imagine what sort of place God would enter the world through, uh, there's a good chance we wouldn't have guessed Nazareth. We might have thought he's going to be born into a family of wealth and prominence and political connections so that he can really have access to the, the levers of power and change things. But we would be wrong like Nathaniel was. When God entered the world as a human, when the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. This is something we just celebrated this past month. God chose to be born in a stable, the equivalent of a garage, uh, to Mary, an unwed teenage peasant girl. And the first announcement of his birth was given to farm workers who were sleeping outdoors at night to guard the livestock. Uh, God saw fit to be raised by Mary and a stepfather named Joseph. And Joseph was a carpenter, um, there are a lot of indications that a better understanding of Carpenter would be a day laborer. Um, by any account, he would be somebody who didn't have, hadn't inherited land, and so he had to work something other than the land. Um, Jesus grew up in a tiny, politically insignificant village in a region conquered and occupied by a foreign empire, and he learned the family trade as a day laborer, um, helping put food on the table through sweat on his brow and an ache in his back. And this unmistakably tells us that we are wrong to assume that anything, any place, any person is beneath the concern of God. It demonstrates to us that the standards we grab onto to judge significance and value are not standards that we've gotten from God. They're actually departures from the standards of the God who loves every single person and every single place. But this is saying something even deeper than that. It's not just. We uh, you know, we might be tempted to think that Jesus was significant and important despite his background, despite the place that he grew up. Uh, we might think that he simply transcended the insignificance, the unimportance, the, the smallness of Nazareth. You know, we might think to ourselves, good for him making something of himself, even though that's his background. Or we might just say, yeah, Jesus is God, doesn't really matter where he comes from, that's, you know, he's just going to be good. Um, But the gospel doesn't let us do that. One of the the most central teachings and beliefs within Christianity is that Jesus is fully God and fully human. Entirely and truly God, entirely and truly human. And, you know, last week uh, we heard about the baptism of Jesus and we had a strong emphasis on on Jesus truly being God the Son. Um, You know, we, we get that. But he's also truly human, like us, truly a person like us. Um, And that means that Jesus experienced the fullness of human life. All the types of things that you and I go through, from the pleasures of sitting by a fire with friends, to the pain of stubbing his toe. Uh, In his humanity, he went through childhood and grew up being influenced by the place where he lived and the people he knew. He grew up learning about the world through the eyes of a poor peasant boy in a hard scrabble town, he was shaped differently there than he would have been if he'd born into any other family, and if he'd been born into a family of wealth and power and influence. Uh, He was shaped by his parents. Um, We get a powerful glimpse of that, and we saw this actually in Advent, so again, about a month ago. Um, You know that his mother, again, was an unwed, uh, pregnant teenage girl when he was born. But she sings a song at one point, that we call the Magnificat. It's the, it's the first words of that song are, you know, my soul glorifies the Lord. That's coming from the word Magnificat. So. Anyway, um, she sings a song about what God is doing through this child who is now gestating within her. And she sings about, you know, the, the, the rich will be sent away empty and the hungry will be filled. Uh, the high up will be lowered. The, those who are low down will be raised up by the Lord. Um, she's singing this song about, you know, all the abuses of power are going to be set right, that people will have enough because this is what God desires. And, you know, you read, you go through any part of Jesus' teaching, but you, know, you take something like the parable of the sheep and the goats, and you just see the influence of his mother on him. You know, that he, he got this from his mama. Um, he, oh, yeah, he found it in the, the Hebrew scripture that would have been read in synagogue constantly as well. It was there in the community. But we definitely know that it was there when he was just, um, you know, not even born yet. And so Jesus wasn't the Messiah, the incredible teacher, the man who had turned the world upside down despite his background. No, God chose to become flesh in that place and among those people because that place and those people would help shape Jesus in his humanity into who he was supposed to be to live out the full glory of God. And the same is true for us. When, through Jesus, we increasingly become who we are meant to be, the people God intended us to be, fully alive as representatives of God's goodness to the world around us. It's not by becoming some sort of generic, mass-produced clone. Uh, We don't all end up looking and acting and speaking just the same way. Uh, No, it looks like God working all of the particulars of who we are and where we come from Together to make us a unique sort of goodness for the benefit of the world. Um, In a lot of ways, our lives are like um, the life of a little plot of land not far from here, um, just across 99 in Oak Park. And um, my neighbors here, uh, Chris and Ruth Brown, uh, moved into Oak Park a few years ago and they they bought the house, and it came with this vacant lot next door, which sounds great. and the lot in their backyard was uh, just filled with construction debris. Uh, it had been mistreated by previous residents, effectively serving as a dump, um, filled with gravel, bricks, concrete chunks, rebar, paving stones, it, you know, that kind of thing. That, it, was, it was damaged and it was dangerous. Um, it was left worse off than it had been before because at one point it was an oak savanna and now it is a collection of construction garbage. Um, those who had lived there before, had they hadn't noticed or they had dismissed the value of the land. Uh, they hadn't seen it as important or significant, and so they abused it. I think uh, who among us can't relate to that land in some way? Um, who hasn't been mistreated and hurt by others, and maybe even done damage to ourselves because we were mistaken for insignificant and beneath the importance of love. Um, When Chris and Ruth moved in, though, they saw potential in the place, and they loved it. I don't just mean they felt affection for it, but they actually embodied love for the place um, by working to rehabilitate it. Whereas others had seen the land as a void to be filled with their trash, the Browns could see it for its particular character underneath all the damage done to it they could see the potential for it to be healed and restored. And so they got to work, um, not by treating the land still as if it doesn't have a particular character. They didn't say, you know, let's just, you know, I like a nice Midwestern manicured lawn, and so we're going to drop that right here, even though this isn't fitting for this place. You know, they didn't just impose a new, brand new identity onto it. Um, But they paid attention to its particular climate, to its particular soil makeup, it's sun exposure they paid attention to the few trees that were already living in the midst of that dump you know so they could work with the life that was growing and that was good there um, and on top of all that they actually took this debris that had been damaging the land and they incorporated it into the rehabilitation of the land and so some of you know this this concrete junk and these pavers and these bricks ended up being built into an herb spiral um, if you don't know what an herb spiral is you should Ask them, really, or look it up. But it's, it's a very uh, good way to grow herbs in the yard. Um, they took some of that material and they, uh, they built walls for their raised garden beds. They built a permeable, permeable walking path um, so they can get around the yard and the rain can seep in. Um, and while it's still a work in progress, if you were to tour that lot, and I think they probably actually would let you tour it. Um, you go there, you see, you see the evidence of love. Um, it's a cool and shady place in the middle of our hot Sacramento summers. Um, it's beautiful, it produces food, um, it's habitat for native wildlife. Um, and now it has this increasingly healthy, rich soil so that when the rain falls, the water doesn't get shunted out onto the street where it picks up garbage and takes it into the river, but it seeps into the aquifer and is available for all of us to drink in the future. And and this is what God's concern for us looks like. Uh, No matter what your life has been or where you're from, no matter how dysfunctional your family of origin was, uh, no matter what you've gone through, you are deeply loved by God in your particularity, in in who you specifically are. Um, Through the attentive love of God, the particulars of your life story can be the very things that make you into the person the world needs you to be. Um, in Christ, your history is not erased. You're not treated like a blank slate. It's instead the very thing that prepares you to uniquely bring out the glory of God's goodness in the world. It's the way that you alone can demonstrate another tiny glimpse of the, of the abundant goodness of God. And even though God didn't want your life to be marked by pain and trauma and abuse and grief, the love of God is so creative and so good that even those scars and that damage done to you can be healed and incorporated into new goodness for you and the world. And as you and I come to recognize and realize this more and more, we also find our minds transformed. So we're able to recognize that this isn't just about us, but that no person No place is beneath God's attention. That nobody is beyond the love and the concern of God. And that we can't honestly say about anyone, can anything good come from them? Can anything good come from that place? This is good news. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that when you entered the world to demonstrate your love and your goodness and your grace, your mercy and your peace, that you entered it at the margins of an empire, that you came in among the people who were dismissed as lowly and insignificant, and you, you communicate to us once and for all that every human being, every place, is loved by you immensely. We ask we would take that message into ourselves, that we would understand that just the, the fullness of what it is that you can do through every one of us, and that we would recognize in our neighbors and our enemies and those who are strangers to us, that they too are loved deeply by you and hold within them unique seeds for the flourishing of the world through your grace.
0: As ask in Jesus' name. Amen.